You are dialed in to the Cut Banks Conversations. Hey there, hi there, ho there. It's us here. How y'all doing? We are here again, episode six. The team's all together, living in the rain. Here we are in, uh, I'd say, beautiful, sunny downtown Prince George, but that would be a lie. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Uh, moistly? Is that the word we should <laughs> <Yeah>. use? Drowning. <laughs> Drowning. Talking moistly, to quote yes. our, our fair prime minister. So. Careful, I'm going to cry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, he has uh, to go to his safe space now. Yeah, safe you space. Yeah. So we are here we are in uh, in rainy Prince George. You had a decent uh, decent weekend. How's everybody doing? What, what, Matt, how was your weekend? It was great. Uh, you know, we got up to a couple little things here. Did some stuff with, uh, I guess, the, the father-in-law, even though I'm not technically married, more house-married. Uh, you're house-married? Okay, well, that's good enough. So, yeah. good, good, good. Earn some brownie points for the, the pending nuptials, if they ever happen. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see about okay. the pending, we'll see about the pending nuptials or the brownie points. Uh, yeah. Well, probably both. Excellent. Uh, based on that answer, I think more like uh, pending agreement from a lawyer coming your way. So, anyway. <laughs> Mandy, you, how was the weekend? Well, I wish that I would have taken advantage of the sun yesterday and gone outside and put up a trail camera, but instead I'm like, oh, it's a great day work in the garden, yeah. and then it rained today. Yeah, that was a cate- categorically the wrong answer. It so, was. Stevie, what did you do for Father's Day, man? Oh, just went for a walk down along the river, picked up some rocks, taught my daughter to skip rocks, as you probably saw by the pictures, yep. and uh, had probably about 300 rocks put in my face and going, is this an agate? Is this an agate? Yeah. No, no, it's not. <laughs> so a little time everybody spent family. I was out rock collecting with my wife and she crushed her toe and all that good stuff. But you know the best part? I'll tell you the best part of this weekend. Mandy made bear salve the other day and we finally have some. So some medicinal bear salve rendered mm-hmm. down from bear fat. You know what I find interesting is that she posted a great picture of pie made with her bear lard and what you and I ended up with is the bear salve hey, right I thought about bringing it here but I didn't have a big enough container for the pie in. I like think she may have blocked me from that pie post knowing so well I would have commented so uh so a couple things uh the other thing that was great this weekend my wife and I tried some experiments and some great cocktails so uh, I did a couple of cool old fashions but the best one I grabbed, uh, if, if any of you uh, are fans of Hank Shaw from Hunt Gather Cook uh, great guy to follow on Instagram uh, but I grabbed his uh, spruce tip uh, simple syrup and used that recipe. We tried one uh, one way that it was it was good, but his recipe retained way better flavor. Uh, spruce tips are just about all bombed out now, so they're going to get fairly hard and resiny. Yeah. But I'll tell you, man, mix that with two ounces of bourbon and a little bit of lemon peel and some uh, kick-ass bitters. And, oh, do you have a Father's Day cocktail? Let me tell you. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Well, you know, you were skipping rocks, and uh, I was uh, I was experimenting with bourbon. Like, what else are we supposed to do? <laughs> All right, let's Over the uh, rocks. let's get caught up. And Mandy, uh, where are we at with the the thing that ruined everyone's lives? COVID. Anything going on there? Well, there's not a lot going on up north here, so we're pretty lucky that way. There yeah. have been a few more cases reported. I think they said thirty two over the past three days. So we're gonna watch that, but hopefully we're easing into phase three, and we'll. Have some restrictions eased. Whatever that is. Yeah. It's clear as mud. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what that means either, but uh, so yeah, we're going to be moving into phase three. Steve, tell everybody all the good news. What what happened recently? What happened today? 
It's not my fault. Stop blaming me for your <laughs> LEH lack of drawing. Yeah, Steve, I, I, I got I can't nothing. Tell you. Everybody got nothing. It's I, if you're listening, uh, Steve admins uh, BC hunting and fishing, and I always find it funny if you read enough threads long enough over the last few years I've been here, Steve gets blamed for the results quite a bit. But uh, anyway, it wasn't Steve's fault. But anyway, they're out. And, uh, the system had a little crash uh, at the end of the draw uh, cycle to apply. Yeah, yeah. But now they're out, and it is what it is. And it lots is. of people got them, and some people didn't, and on we go. Conspiracies abound. Once again, no, uh, I did learn that apparently you need to be friends with a conservation officer or way up in the ministry to get a draw. So I reached out to a uh, retired conservation officer, sergeant that I know, and jokingly said, is this true? And he said, well, my wife and I both drew, so I guess there might be something to it. But I instantly, <laughs> Other than that, no. I no. instantly unfriended him. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we got a couple of things. Mandy's going to post um, her uh, bear shank recipe, which uh, she sent me the other day with some uh, y- yummy pictures. So was that wild rice? Uh, yes, it was. Oh, it was it, a blend. It looked dynamite. I'm telling. It's like telling. a Costco blend. So if you're in Costco and you, can, you see these little <laughs> sounds like plastic containers with red lids, that sounds really natural. Yeah, that that sounds really natural. But it looked dynamite. The recipe looks great. So we're gonna post that up. You can find that uh, on the Cut Banks Conversation dot uh, com. Go to the website. We got some recipes and some other good stuff. All right. So we're gonna get uh, connected with our special guest and get into this thing. And here he is, TJ. Good. How are you? Can you hear us all? Um, I can hear you. Okay. Well, the rest of them just aren't talking yet. Say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hey, hi. TJ. <laughs> <laughs> so, TJ, you're here with uh, Matt Wakeham, our producer, uh, Maddie Starnes, and obviously Steve, uh, Mr. Screw in the LEH Hamilton uh, here in BC. <laughs> uh, so, thanks for joining us on uh, on the Cut Banks conversation and being on this podcast with us today, particularly on this particular one. So, how are things for how are things for you? Yeah, excellent. We're starting to finally get some summer out here, although it seems to be raining every day, so the mosquitoes are well out in full force. Yeah. Okay, so so in Alberta, nothing is Shangri-La because we are suffering through nothing but rain and mosquitoes right now. So I'm, I'm glad to know the pain is equally shared across provinces. That's awesome. Well, misery does love company. <laughs> yeah, yes, that, that it does. So um, we're going to get going here, and uh, we, we're going we're gonna to jump in. So today's topic, we're going to be covering the, uh, the impacts, the challenges, um, the effects that social media has on, on hunting and fishing, not only as a community. Um, it, you know, it, 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 it has the capacity to have, uh, to have implications in, in everything from policy, social license, and in some cases, uh, social media, uh, when <laughs> when in the hands of evildoers or people that don't don't necessarily think their activities through, can have negative consequences. Can have some positive consequences. And the reason yeah. and the reason that we've got you on TJ is um, you've been in the outdoor space for a long time. You have a professional career in it, not just uh, through social media, but in outdoor media. Um, so we thought it was important to get somebody that's a professional in in the space. And, and take a look at it through your lens, which I think will add a lot to this conversation. If that sounds cool to you, we'll get Absolutely. going. Yeah. All right. Well, Steve, take know, her away. I know that guy. So you were out here, what, six years ago as guest speaker for Spruce City? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> it all blends together. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't doubt that. So. <clears throat> so that's roughly when you and I first met each other and started chatting. Um, yeah. Uh, outdoor quest. I 
I, I knew of the show, but I didn't know too much about it until you and uh, Vanessa got up there and, and started yapping. And uh, I was floored to know that you're the uh, longest running independently produced hunting series. And that, in Canada, yeah. It, it, and we're, yeah. We'd be right up there at the top, like North America-wise, too. Just, I don't know if we're good at what we do or if we're just too stubborn to quit. <laughs> <laughs> How many years have you guys been doing this, TJ? Um, we're in our 21st season of broadcast. Wow. So, yeah. so on that, when you, when you jump, when the, when the show went live, what network were you on? Were you originally on the, the, was it wild TV or were you on a, like a, like CTV or something when you first started? Uh, we actually started on an outdoor channel in the U S and then kind of bounced around a few channels down there. There wasn't a network in Canada that would broadcast hunting at the time. Um, and then when wild TV first started up, which I think was probably know, 17 years ago now. Okay. Um, we started with them on their very first day, but, uh, and then we slowly weaned ourselves off the U S. Um, we are just, we're Canadians first and we seem to identify best with Canadians and Canadians know us. And it's just, I don't know where we're happy. So, um, I was not too sad to leave that U S broadcast market. And then, so, okay. So just out of curiosity, so you're, you're with wild TV, um, and the show's continued to, you know, it's continued to produce great content. I've been watching the show for a number of years. Um, now you've been wild TV, you've moved back to sportsman's channel, correct? Yeah. So we moved to Sportsman's channel in January of this year. Okay. And it was, I don't know, it was, it was a hard move. I mean, we really enjoyed our time at wild TV and, um, it just, I guess we like the direction that Sportsman was going a little better. I think the programming is, is a bit higher quality. Um, they give a lot more Canadian content. Than, um, so by law, networks have to do 35% Canadian content in Canada, according to CRTC rules. But I think Sportsman's is running about 45% right now. Um, and they had a, access to a lot more of the really good U.S. shows. So um, we just kind of wanted, I guess, to move there. Not that, I mean, I, I hope both channels do really well and, um, you know, that's kind of my, my hope for it because the more channels we have, I think the better it is for everyone. But yeah, so, and we're quite happy over at Sportsman and, um, you know, our sponsors were happy we made the move. And, um, I think our viewers have primarily mostly come with us and, you know, we've definitely gained a lot new viewers from there. Was that just, a, was that a concern? Like when, when you make the migration from wild TV to Sportsman's channel, was there, was there a concern? I mean, I'm friends with, and I'm a sponsor with, uh, with Dana as well from Fatal Impact. And I know that that was part of a conversation I had with him uh, last year when you guys were all making, there's quite a few shows that, that made that migration, but would the audience transfer over uh, to what felt more like an American-based uh, organization or, pardon me, a network? So was that was yeah. that a concern? Oh, absolutely it was. And, um, you know, first we went to our sponsors and just thought, told them what we were thinking of doing. Um, and we secured a three-year deal with Sportsman before we ever decided to move. Um, so, you know, there was some long-term, some longevity there, but all of them were hundred percent supportive. I mean, basically their thoughts were, you know, if, if we thought it was a good move, um, they were hundred percent behind it. Uh, we did, I think three or four different polls on social media, um, just to kind of informally poll our, our viewers. And I think it was this lowest poll we had was 83% were in favor of us moving. Oh, wow. Okay. So you, yeah, so, you you actually use social media as a tool to help you in crafting that decision. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, it's it's the quickest way to reach out to um, you know your viewers and just kind of. I, I think social media is a pretty good gauge of what's going on in the hunting community. You know, I think they talk about Facebook being kind of the old person social media nowadays, but I think in the hunting community, that's not necessarily the case. And I mean, I think our demographics really well represented, right from you know youths right up to you know people in their seventies and eighties. And I think that's been the great thing um, about Facebook for us, and it's where we do spend the most amount of time it's because i think we can reach our widest demographic there so in as the show has gone on from when you from when you started you know 21 years ago from that first episode what do you think don't don't make me go back and watch it so but what are some of the things that you have noticed let's just before we really focus in on social media just in terms of the media of uh, outdoor hunting angling television what do you think the biggest shifts have been inside of your industry like in terms of is it content uh is it cinematography uh is it is it the way that the stories are told because i mean to me there's a palpable difference but i'd be interested to hear from from somebody that actually is making content what they see yeah so i actually did a a fishing series out of regina for five years long before i was ever in the hunting television business and I kind of used that as a good opportunity to learn the whole production side. I had no clue about video production, television production, or anything at that point. I was just a guy who fished tournaments and did pretty well. So they approached me about doing a, a fishing series. And I took that opportunity to really learn the business, learn the craft, learn the art. And so I learned on tape. And I think anyone who's ever shot to tape and edited on tape is a lot better at what they do than, um, you know, just because you had to be really careful. So I guess the one thing that's really changed um, is the equipment and some of it for the better. Um, You know, when I was, I remember doing a mountain hunt back, um, oh, it's got to be 23 or 24 years ago. We were just, I was contracted to do a hunt and we had to take a hundred pounds of batteries with us on this hunt. We had one pack horse just for batteries. My so, God. Yeah, and now I can go on a 10-day hunt with, you know, four or five pounds of batteries in my backpack. So I think it's made television a lot better that way. And the fact that we can go places we've never gone before, and so many people can go places they've never gone before and, and share those hunts. So I think that's been the good part about technology. I think the bad part about technology is it's just gotten so cheap. Um, right. When I first got into the television business, the edit suite we used um, he had this huge fan cooled, liquid cooled array of hard drives and it held 16 gigs. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. 16 gigs. Yeah. But it was like about a 30 or $40,000 computer array. And I mean, his editing system was worth a hundred grand and um, the cameras we were using back then were worth, you know, 35 to $40,000. So you had to be pretty serious about your craft back then to be in it. And even when we first started with Outdoor Quest TV, we were still shooting on Betacam, like the big $35,000 cameras and everything else. And so, you know, when gear really got cheap, I mean, for $10,000 now, you can buy a full edit suite and a camera and go be a, you know, a television star, basically. Yeah, well, we know we have a, we have a podcast for less than two grand. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, the host, and not a good one either. So, <laughs> and the hosts work for beer. <laughs> uh, but no, but you're right. And so it's allowed. So, and I guess the, to me, the quality of television has really suffered. Um, you know, there's a lot of poor editing and audio is probably my biggest pet peeve. Like we like to keep our audio as clean and as good as possible. And, um, you know, so many shows, the audio is junk now. But on the other side of that, it's allowed a lot more people 
to take, you know, viewers along on their hunts, which is a good thing. So I guess, you know, probably the old guy in me says, you know, pull your pants up and, um, you know, do that editing properly. But, you know, the other side of me realizes we're getting more word out about hunting. There's a lot more Canadian guys, a lot more young Canadian guys involved. And that's not a bad thing either. Uh, so, okay. So you, uh, along the way, so we've got technology that changes in terms of how you produce the content. Um, but, but also it's the actual, uh, what I've noticed is if, if, if I look back at programs, yours included from once upon a time till there's a completely different, I mean, there's a different story because a lot of times I think what, what, what outdoor television was, was very guilty of. Um, was it was Wackham and Stackham TV, right? Oh my you, God, yes. You, you, were, you just you watched you watched people sit in a tree stand or you know still hunt or whatever they were doing. But what all you were looking for is how many times can we turn over the idea of laying out a deer or an elk or, or a bear or whatever it was, and how quickly can we get to that? And now, yeah, and, what, and I think you know, we, I think we've seen that in all media. Um, I, I kind of tracked you know magazines over the years, like you know how tos were popular, and me and Joe's stories were hot popular you know how to so and i think we've kind of seen those ups and downs in television as well but um i remember i think it was our third season we were on in the u.s and we had 46 kills in 13 episodes so seriously we, yeah yeah there was then that was kind of the industry standard then like you had to do that to be competitive that was what was expected um now i'm happy when we have one kill in one episode or sometimes we'll do a two two-part episode for one kill and I like to tell the story and, you know, and that kind of goes back to my writing as well. I've, I've always struggled with the how-to stuff. I just find it really boring to write, but I just love telling a story of a hunt and I love doing the same thing with television. So, um, you know, when people go to Africa, like we go to Africa a lot and um, I think when a lot of people go to Africa, you watch their shows and they'll, they'll stack up four or five animals on an episode. And there's a lot of times we'll only shoot one animal and it, it's been a great hunt. And we like to walk people through the hunt. And I think there's a lot of importance to that. Um, I like to tell a story. I think our viewers like it, but I also think it's, it's a more accurate portrayal of at least the way we hunt. Yeah, And I think when we look at, uh, when we look at television, um, one of the things that over the years that it, it's created is um, you create these aspirational characters or, or environments where, you know, we're, we're seeing mountaintops and we see, you know, a trophy animal after trophy animal being taken, 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 taken in, in these great locations, and which is great. And it created great content. But I think at some point, the whole art of the storytelling got lost. Um, and it was just more about, it was more about creating content that, that sort of pandered to the, to the lowest common denominator, which was, you know, an end result. Do you think that result was more driven by the, the people that are, um, like the, the network or the, to, to appeal to advertise advertisers, you know, um, it, was that more what drove that? Or do you think it was just the network or the network ex- uh, saying like, if we create this enough, the advertisers jump on board because the, the advertisers aren't going to be there or the sponsors aren't going to be there if all you're going to do is sit and tell a story and nothing dies at the end of this, right? Is, is that part of that? Is there a, is there a commercial aspect that, that, that was going on then? I, you know, and that's a great question that I don't know that I have 100% the answer to. Um, certainly, a conglomerate of all those things. 
uh, plays. And, and I think television's always trying to reinvent itself. And, you know, we're always trying to be better at what we do. And, and a lot of times that means change. And you'll definitely see those trends happen. Like, you know, one show will get popular. And so everybody starts copying what that show's done. And then another show will get popular. And I don't know if those trends are driven so much by any one factor. It's just, it's that kind of roller coaster of we're always just trying to reinvent ourselves. And, you know, it's funny, like, I'm always watching other television shows and I'm like, oh man, I like the way they did that. And I like the way that, you know, I'll say something to Vanessa, like, hey, you know, maybe we should think about doing something like that. And she's like, why? You know, we've been around for 21 years. We're the longest running hunting show. People like our show. And I think once you come to terms with the fact that, you know, you can increase your viewer base somewhat, but you're always going to have that same core following. And, you know, the guys who do the one style of show are going to have one following. We're going to have a different following. And I think at some point you just have to get comfortable with that. And I think a lot of the TV shows are starting to mature now. Like we got in this game really early. And, you know, we were kind of following all those trends at the beginning, but now there's a lot of shows with double digit years behind them. And I think they're all just kind of settling into their place more comfortably. And I think for a lot of us, you know, there's a little bit more age on us too. And I think that storytelling is kind of, I just love going back to that. And, you know, I love when I look, cause I, I do all our editing for our quest TV too. So, I mean, it's, it's easy for me, but I get to relive all those hunts. And when I'm watching that footage, I just, I really want to tell that story. And that's one thing we strive to do. Um, there's still shows out there that are whacking and stacking and they've got their following. And, you know, there's shows with, you know, loud music and lots of kill shots too. And I don't know, I think it's just whatever you kind of morph into. And the other thing is there's not enough money in this business to, you know, <laughs> to ever make a living from it. So God, we may as well enjoy what we're doing. And, and I know Vanessa and I enjoy what we do. And, you know, that's just kind of taking our time, soaking in everything. I'm, I'm not there to kill as many animals as I can kill. And, you know, some guys are, and I'm not saying that's wrong. Like we all go through the five stages of hunting in our lives. And I think probably the same thing on the television series. It, that's exactly it. Uh, that's part of the reason we actually created this podcast is because all, all the BS sessions we have driving up and down a forest service road and, and while we're hunting. And that's part of the, the main reason that I was drawn to your show in the first place is the, the storytelling. I love telling a good story. Don loves telling a good story and, God, Don sometimes just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And anyway, so you mentioned that you you had a fishing show, and yeah. what what drove you from the fishing industry to the hunting? It's quite the change. Yeah, I mean, basically, I learned the industry. Like, I mean, my passion's always been hunting, but I fished professionally on the tournament circuit for um, quite a few years while I was fishing. While I trailed, yeah. Yeah, so just got approached by a, a network out of Saskatchewan to do a fishing show. So it was just a great opportunity. It didn't cost me any money. There was a chance to make some money. But I kind of looked at it as my television university right from day one, too. Like, I sat in on most of the editing and everything else. So I think once I got enough knowledge um, and kind of once it seemed the time was right. I don't know. We were down at SHOT Show one year. Um, 21 or 22 years ago and there just seemed to be a good buzz at that time that was kind of fit in what we were thinking of doing so we pitched the idea to a few sponsors and somehow they wrote us checks and all of a sudden we were you know making a hunting show so when you when you guys made the transition from or I guess you is Vanessa's been around since the the fishing or is it Vanessa no came she's been I think she's been with us for she's been 14 years she's been announced request now okay so yep. when, when you made that, so you made the transition, what do you, what do you think the biggest changes are that other than, uh, we talked about technology, but what do you think in terms of 
I'll I'll tell you a story that might put Don's to shame for length, but But, but, we we went on a moose hunt um, up in Northern British Columbia last fall. And as some moose hunts go, the moose just weren't around. And, you know, we'd flown into a lake and we were pretty much stuck there. So, you know, there really wasn't a lot to film. Like we'd filmed all the bears, we'd filmed all the wolves and everything else, but there was no moose. But so one day we decided, well, maybe we should just go fishing today. And, you know, we caught about 150 fish in about three or four hours. And I said to Vanessa, I miss the fishing days. We could have just shot three episodes here right now. (laughs) And and we're going to come out of here with nothing. (laughs) So that's probably the biggest thing. And we were pretty how-to focused on our fishing at the time, just because I was pretty well known, like in the tournament circuit. So it was really easy. Go to a lake, catch five or six fish, you know, talk about the techniques you were going to use, bang, done in the show, on, change your shirt and on to the next show. And, and so, and I, I know that there's a, I mean, hunting is a lot more unpredictable. Uh, you can't control those things and you're certainly not going to catch 150 moose in three hours, right? So yeah, exactly. you're not going to see 150 moose in three years probably. So, um, but when you, but when you look at it, is there anything that, is there anything that you find objectionable that's a trend that is either come and gone or is, or is maybe in the foreground right now uh, inside the, the media space? Like, any, uh, like any, is, mean, is there I, a program that you watch or something that, that w- the, the way that something either plays out or, or a tendency uh, in some of the narrative where you go like, I wish you, I wish we weren't doing that or they weren't doing that. You know, is there anything like that that stands out for you? Yeah, I, I mean, there probably is, and I mean, it, and I don't like to be judging. I mean, it's me personally that doesn't like it, um, but to me, I guess this thing is, as long as things are being done ethically and, you know, within the laws, I'm okay with it. it. I may not watch it, though. Like, I'm not big on, you know, the hosts that just go somewhere and start whacking animals and um, that kind of thing. I'm not big on shows that are, like, totally sponsor-driven. I mean, yeah, we have to all talk about our sponsors, but... You know, there's, there's good ways and bad ways to do it. So those are things we try to shy away from. But, I mean, I, I don't want to criticize any other shows. The only thing I'll criticize any show for is it having really bad audio, and that's my biggest <laughs> So what are the, you've been writing for a long time. Because, I mean, <clears throat> I can't remember how many times I've, 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 all, I've read your articles. Um, and it's, I, it's actually what that was surprised me a number of years ago. And I can't remember if it was Western Sportsman. I know. Do you do just straight freelance or is there specific magazines that you, you write or have written for? Oh, I, like, I mean, I've written regular columns for, you know, a lot of magazines over the years. Like Alberta Outdoorsman, I still do regular columns for. Outdoor Canada, I do regular columns for. Um, at one time, I was doing a lot of stuff for the Outdoor Edge. Um, I did a lot of writing for Western Sportsman. Yeah, I, I mean, I've pretty much written for every magazine over the years. And at one time, I was probably publishing like 100 to 120 articles a year. Wow. And, and, really, and, and still doing your programming? Yeah. So I've really backed that off now. Like I'm, I'm still probably doing 40 to 50 articles a year, um, but I certainly don't enjoy the writing as, as much as I used to. Um, I, I will say that I do, I do find I have to work hard at the writing now. Um, unless I'm telling a good story, like if I go on a great hunt and just write the story of that hunt, um, to me, those kind of stories flow easily. But you know, if I have to talk about why the ballistic coefficient of one bullet makes a difference over the other one, it's <laughs> yeah. not as fun to write. I mean, it's, there's, there's good information there, and I do write them, but it's it's just not as fun for me. So, but yeah, yeah I, so I wrote my first article back in 1986. And who was that for? Do you remember? <clears throat> um, it was actually for there was um, a magazine called Alberta. Um, ah, what was it called? Hunting and Fishing Alberta, or Alberta Hunting and Fishing, or 
<laughs> they're defunct now i'm assuming based on your recollection so yeah no i mean it's, it's been gone for you know two or three decades <laughs> so when you but but even the i mean there's still things like big buck magazine and i mean a lot of those a lot of those those monthly still exist but i mean I, some magazines i've heard have scaled back to four like four issues a year um some magazines that i probably was reading 20 years ago don't exist anymore um yeah and, and i i don't it, it even the the kinds of articles that are being written, I, I've noticed a, a trend that's changed in the writing. Um, it tends to be more introspective or reflective um, in, in the really good stuff. I really like some of the stuff that you you were talking about Outdoor Canada. There's some good content in there. Um, there's there's good writing, but there's definitely even been a shift in in how we tell stories or or how we we talk about ourselves as an industry. Um, you're writing, I, I mean, like anyone's writing, it should it should hopefully improve over time. But have you has has it been conspicuous for you that there's oh a, there's the change in how you write? Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dramatic. I mean, and I think that would be a problem if it wasn't. I mean, it's the same with the television. It's the same with you know pretty much everything I've done in my life as an occupation i mean i've got better at it and i would like to think i keep getting better every year and if i don't i should probably quit but um you know i look at back at some of the early articles i wrote they were pretty bad i was a really good photographer when i first started writing and this was still back in the days of film so i had wildlife photos that nobody else had so i mean they can fix writing pretty easy i mean bad writing is easy to fix if you're an editor but if you don't have the photos to go with the article so i think that's really how i got really popular really quickly is just because i had great photos yeah yeah i I, would absolutely well and i remember lots of your articles the photo content's always been dynamite so yeah and and your writing's pretty good tj i've always enjoyed reading your articles i have skipped other people and even when you were talking ballistic i'm not a gun nerd but I'll even read your ballistic coefficient <laughs> articles when they show up. <laughs> well, no, and I appreciate that. And I mean, I have, um, like I, I did, or I have received, I guess, quite a few awards, you know, probably more in the last 10 years or so. So I would like to think that's because my writing has got better. Um, I just got a, an award this year for writing, you know, the best hunting feature in Canada in 2019. You know what I like almost as much as going hunting? hunting for gear and there's lots of places you can shop and there's lots of products you can choose from but one of my favorite places to consider when i'm in the market is with my friend omer down at precision optics in quinell british columbia so he's got this great little uh, gun store tucked in the side of aroma foods he's an absolutely awesome awesome dude to talk to uh, so let's say uh, you are in the market market for, you know, one of the new uh, hot what's happening kind of rifles like the new Weatherby TI or the Savage Ultra Light 110 with that uh, new proof barrel that they put on there. Or maybe like me, you're in the market for a backpack. I just picked up a new Stone Glacier 5900 R3 and uh, I got it from Omer. He's got lots of that stuff in stock. Um, maybe that goat or sheep hunt that's coming up, time to upgrade the optics and get a new rifle scope or spotting scope. So maybe you want Night Force or Swarovski or Leupold. Omer's got a little bit of everything. What I'll tell you what he has a whole pile of, other than great merchandise. He's got a lot of experience on mountaintops all around BC hunting for goats and sheeps and other critters. And he has put all of the gear that he sells, he puts uh, to the test. Uh, in mountain hunting scenarios every single year. He's a kick-ass hunter, a dynamite supporter of conservation initiatives, Wild Sheep Society, absolutely loves him, as do we, because he puts his money where his mouth is, and he puts money towards conservation, supporting a number of events every single year. So 
Um, there are lots of great businesses all around BC. Omer just happens to be one of my favorite people to do business with in the outdoor space. So if you are looking for something in a in a rifle, in optics, in uh, you know gear, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're, you're you're thinking of, or if you just have questions, he's there to answer them all. So take advantage of a great facility with with somebody with a lot of great wisdom to apply and help you make a really really good decision. So precisionoptics.net on the interweb. Tell Omer we sent you and uh, he'll give you nothing but a lot of great advice. <laughs> so you have, a, you, have a, you have a television program that's been super successful. Uh, you've got a writing career that's been parallel to that um, and, it's, and it's evolved. But one of the biggest changes I've seen in just about every single hunting program is that there's an addendum that much like, I mean, running, running car dealerships, I'll use this as an example. Somebody, you know, you know, 20 years ago said, you got to have a website. So we all went and put a website up and then forgot about it. And then eventually we realized, oh, we got to do something with that thing. And then, and then a few years ago, somebody said, oh yeah, and you should be on like Facebook and Twitter. And then we all went and got an account and then nobody did anything with it. Right. It was like, yeah, I got one. Yeah. I have one of them, them Twittery things. Yeah. It's, it's right up. There's a link. I don't know what's on it. And it it was funny, you know, Matt, Matt drives our social media uh, at the dealership and I'm, I'm relatively, pardon me. I'm relatively new to social media. Like in, in Saskatchewan, I had a Facebook account. I didn't do anything with, I really didn't get into social media till I moved here. But what I've noticed is just about without exception, there is not a single hunting program anywhere that is not trying to drive their their interaction with their with their viewers through social media between Instagram or Facebook. So how long ago did that start and what was that evolution like for you guys for embracing that 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 uh, mechanism? Um, well, when we started, we did everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think same with us, you know, we, we put a, a website up and, you know, back then they was trying to make websites interactive. So people kept coming to them. So, you know, we uh, had a written blog on there. We had, you know, at one time we were doing an electronic newsletter, but it was all kind of driving traffic to our, our website. And we had decent traffic. And I guess now I don't, we hardly drive anything to our website. Um, it's just there for information. Like if you want to find out what the outdoor quest is on, you can go there. You know, if you want to find out, you know, pertinent information, but we don't update it very often. Like our, I guess our main thing now is um, social media. And we started with um, a Facebook group, which in hindsight was a really big mistake, but we kind of looked and we let's do have a group. And then when we can, really control everything that happens on it. Like, you know, we don't want bad people on our Facebook. We don't want to be editing it all the time. We don't want to be moderating it all the time. So we created a group and groups were slow to grow. Um, and that's when, if you put a page up back then, you know, you had 30 or 40,000 likes on your page in a year. And now you struggle to get 5,000 likes on a page. So we just actually started our Facebook page um, probably about five years ago now, six, maybe five years ago. And it's been an uphill battle to get the number of likes on it. But our um, engagement is, is through the roof. We, we try and, I guess, put really good content up and we try to really keep our, our Facebook friends and the people who follow us on our Facebook page, we try to really keep them engaged. And um, I don't know if most people know it, um, but if you have a business page, you can actually go in and compare your page to any yeah. other page you yeah. want on Facebook. Yeah, um, we, and Facebook does it for you. So, you know, we'll 
constantly always comparing ourselves to Canadian shows. And, you know, there'll be, a, I think we were like, I don't know what, we're at 11,000 likes on our page right now. And we'll compare ourselves to pages with 50 and 60,000 likes on them. And we'll be doing five or six times mm-hmm. the amount of engagement that they're doing. So it says something, I, I think, about the way we're running our social media. It was We were slow to the game and slow to learn, but I think we learned well when we did. Oh, absolutely. I know you guys are 100% engaged. Uh, somebody can leave a comment and you'll not only like it, but you'll respond I know when people harass you daily with uh, memes, you'll respond and get political. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, that, that definitely does say a lot about the way you engage your, your crowd and kudos to you guys for doing that. And I will say our sponsors, our outfitters and everything have, have done really well with what we do on Facebook. I mean, a lot of our sponsors are small enough that they can track where sales come from. And, um, you know, certainly people see the products on the television series, see us using them. And, um, you know, that definitely drives some sales. But I think a lot of our sales are actually driven um, through social media. It's pretty common. Like we'll be sitting, you know, on the couch watching TV and somebody will message me about an outfitter we've hunted with. And, you know, you talk to him for 10 minutes and then he's booking a hunt with the guy. And so I think the the television kind of, I guess, gets that bug in their ear. And then, you know, when they can follow up with you and actually talk to you about it, and, you know, if somebody wants to know how his ice scope works, I'll take the time to go through it with them. And so we've used it that way, and, and we don't use it as a marketing tool, but it's become a very effective marketing tool, if, you, if that makes sense. Do, do, your, um, do any of your sponsors or suppliers, do they have any expectations out of you in terms of the amount of uh, social content where, where you guys are tying yourself to a brand? Or, I mean, I know there's always... In each episode, yeah. you're, you're definitely going to talk about the, the outfitter, but there's there's brands that you represent. So is there a minimum amount of content that you're expected to, to push out? There is, and it depends, um, you know, how big of a sponsor they are. But like, even our, our best sponsor would only expect four posts a month, um, you know, with you know, driving them to their brand or, you know, to a new product or something like that. And uh, most of them would be too. Like, in, there's times when it's, you know, the middle of hunting season, it's easy to talk about you know, a new rifle or a new bullet or new ammunition or a new scope just because you're using them every day. It's not like they're forced. There's some other times of the year where it can be a little bit, you know, forced to get some of those posts up. So you got to kind of balance it out. Like we don't want to flood our social media with sponsor posts and things like that. We try to keep them interesting. Um, And I think the biggest compliment we can do is even when we don't mention the name of a product, people know what you're using. Right. And I think we've been with our, you know, the bulk of our sponsors long enough now that that recognition and, and tie is there. So I'd rather show them, you know, a difficult hunt we just really did and, you know, have pictures of us and they see what gear we're using. And um, it kind of goes from there. So I don't want to force feed anyone, our sponsors. And with that said, I mean, our, our sponsors and, you know, we're kind of at that stage in the game right now where we're old enough and established enough. Like, I don't need to you know, look for sponsors and I don't need to take any sponsor that comes along. And probably we turn down a couple sponsors every year. And the way we look at things right now, if we're going to bring a new sponsor on, we're going to use their product for a minimum of a year and sometimes two years before we even consider bringing them on. So you guys actually, like Oh wow. I didn't know that you'd actually, you'd actually beta test yeah. it first. Oh, absolutely. Like I haven't got time for junk in the field and I haven't got time <laughs> to try and promote junk in the field. Um, you know, if something doesn't fit, hundred percent organically into my hunt. I don't want to use it. Right. And I just haven't got time. And, and honestly, I just don't have the patience. That's interesting. Has anybody ever been pissed off at you because you said, Hey, listen, really thanks for it, but it's just a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
I know you probably yeah. said it more eloquently than that. I was like, yeah, totally not using your gear, man. So no pressure yeah, here, TJ. And, yeah, you know, and we did, and um, we actually, I won't say the name, but it was quite <laughs> a large retailer approached us at one time and wanted us to come on and kind of looked at what they were offering and what they expected and, you know, just some of the gear they wanted us to promote. And not that they don't have some great gear, but they didn't have all. And we just kind of said, you know what? Thanks for the offer, but no. And it was, they got pretty outraged about it. You know who we are? Yeah. Well, yeah, I do, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Crap is so, crap, buddy. So, yeah, just. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't crap, but it, you know, we had better gear. And, um, like, I'm at the point now, like, if I want really good gear and it's not a sponsor, I'll just go buy it and use it. Yeah. And yet, but, you know, I think, and I've, I've had this, just, I think this is in, in that industry, in your industry, I think it's also fair. I mean, you're, you know, 20 years in, you could probably pick and choose a little bit. But for some of these exactly. people that are, that are in the fledgling stave, stages of their program, you know, they got to, sometimes they got to marry themselves up with a sponsor. And I, I think... I think one of the things that drives a lot of people that, you know, as consumers, uh, we consume and, you know, all of us around, well, Matt doesn't hunt, but the rest of us, we're always out checking out gear and, you know, people's endorsements, celebrity endorsements, sometimes they seem genuine, right? There's some people where it comes off, it's entirely authentic and you know that they're, they're really, you know, they're really deep with that brand. Um, and they seem committed and they use them and it's believable. And then other people, it's like, you were selling a completely, it's a, it was a different rifle last year and different optics last year. And that was the best thing. And now, now we're halfway through the season and you lost your, you lost your sponsor. Now you're pushing this. Like, do, do you really believe in any of this stuff? Cause you look at some of these photos, it's like hashtag, 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 and just, yep. they'll just string them out. And that's the part that people usually find offensive. I think it's pretty cool that you're in a position where you can say, mm. Hey, we've got, these are our partners. We believe in their product. Um, you know, we're welcome to take a look, but you know, if it's not broken, you don't fix it. So that's a cool statement for you guys. Yeah. Like we were hunting in New Zealand, I think it was back in, I don't know, 2013 or something. And no, it was probably about 2016, I guess. And, um, ran into a brand of clothing over there. We'd never heard of. And our outfitter was just really big on it. So we ended up buying some while we were there and used it a bit. And then kind of over the next two or three years, got more of it and got to know the owner of the company a little bit. And then, you know, I think after a three-year relationship, all of a sudden, you know, they wanted to make a move into North America, and we were just gaga over their product at that point. And um, so that's how a lot it's been so organic the way most of our sponsors have come along. Yeah, I know the product you're talking about. I've actually mentioned it to Don a couple of times and said how awesome it looks and the way you and Vanessa are, are talking about it. It's knowing you the way I do. It's it's genuine and it's an, yeah. it's an authentic belief in the product. And that, like I said, that's uh, what I absolutely love is you know if you're picking something up and you believe in it, it's 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 gonna work. And I know uh, yeah. Don's referring to somebody that uh, <laughs> there was a big controversy in January when the best rifles in the world were thrown aside for the next best rifles and the next best ammunition. So you know, and and sometimes, um, and sometimes it's a lateral move. I mean, I know who you're talking about, and um, but it's not like he went from a great product to a junk product. I mean, it was it was a lateral move, and I'm sure there were some business decisions on both sides. So I'm not ever quite so quick to jump on those things either, because um, you know, like you know, we had a great custom gun manufacturer in BC as a sponsor for ten years. And they just kind of got to the point where they were too busy, didn't need to advertise anymore. And, um, you know, we had a very amicable split. And then, you know, we moved to a more mainstream rifle manufacturer that, you know, we'd also used for years. And, 
So it wasn't like we jumped or there wasn't more money there or something or it wasn't like we did something wrong. I think sometimes those splits just happen. Yeah, and, and I think you have to look at that relation. I mean, I, I'm not judging that part of it necessarily. Yeah. I mean, sometimes those are practical business decisions. And sometimes, um, you know, you can have a sponsor that's just not realistic. Like what they want they want out of you isn't realistic for the dollars they're prepared that's right. to apply to your program, right? Because there, yeah. there's an exchange. Like I'm going to create content and we're going to push your product right? And we're going to represent your product in the field. And there's going to be a great net result to you because of our viewership. And I understand that sometimes those things split, but where I, it's less about Canadian shows in the U S there is some, there are some, there are people particularly that are more social influencers, um, you know, or I have YouTube programs or they'll do reviews and stuff. And I, I really question the sincerity and the authenticity of their of their belief in those products, because to oh, me yeah. they're a hundred percent for sale, and you know the the bullshit meter just goes right off the Richter scale with some of these people. Like seriously, like you were pushing a completely different camo six yeah. months ago, and yeah, now this is the best thing yeah. since sliced bread. What are you going to be wearing next week? Right? You can see them looking at the teleprompter behind the camera, going, <laughs> yeah. and I am wearing. Uh, right, and there's a hesitation, and I, I totally well. Can't and and but you know, no, so so Mandy, you're you're sponsored. Yes, and you're sponsored by provider. Nope. Rockstarlet Outdoors. Rockstarlet Outdoors. So, but I'm I'm like a brand rep. You're a brand rep, right? Yes. I so, get some perks back when people use my coupon code. Right. So when, but for you, you had to make a decision about that, right? Mm-hmm. You needed to feel okay with it, and you were just going to just say, okay, well, great. If it's free, I'll take it. That I, that what? No. No, I really supported the vision of our company because it's encouraging more women to get outdoors and be comfortable out there. We have like a very supportive atmosphere in our staff group and like with our customers as well. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the, the, that's the right reason to make a choice. The wrong reason would just be, well, what are you going to give me that's free? So, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, so let's, let's make the, let's make a hard left turn now. Let's get into the actual social media space. So TJ, first of all, I got to tell you this, you want to talk about um, the, the single greatest moment of of my Facebook life, my son will be able to relate to this. Is that where you friended me? It, no, it was not you. Oh. It's when when, <laughs> when when T when TJ somebody I've been watching for years became one of my friends on Facebook, and I was like, Marina, for he he signed TJ sent me a friend request. I'm, I'm friends with TJ Schwake. <laughs> it was just when you when you when you read somebody's articles and you watch their program, and then you know I, I ended up between uh, you. I met uh, Steve Eklund online through Steve Hamilton and and Dana White, and I've been watching all of your guys' programs. But for you, I've been reading your articles and watching your program almost as long as I've been hunting. So as and I'm not that old. Can well, no, but but you're also you're, you're fi- I don't fish, but your you, your program was based out of Regina which is where I'm from. So I, I vaguely recall your fishing show once upon a time too. So in the odd Saturday or Sunday morning, I believe. So yeah, exactly. um, cable, cable Regina. Yeah, exactly. Cable Regina. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, but let's talk a little bit because you're, um, one of the reasons I, I like, um, I really like you um, in the space of hunting as because as a, you're a spokesperson, but there's, there's like a, uh, there's, I, I I think you say what's on your mind and you, you really stick to you, you, but you stick to your guns too. Like it's your, your, your ideology isn't for sale. You're outspoken. And I think you're outspoken on all the right issues. And what I see you weighed in on social media, I mean, you, you're saying, Hey, listen, I have a platform and I have people, but I, I have ideas and, and all of those things, I think they feather nicely with, with those of us in the hunting community. So we appreciate having people like that. 
Some people. Well, I appreciate that, but and I really do try and keep my personal page separate from our Outdoor Quest TV page. I mean, you know, anybody who follows me on my personal page knows it can get a little political at times. And you're, you're right. I, I will say what's on my mind, and I like to think I research things well. Um, you know, I, I, I've never been nailed by the fact checkers on Facebook and <laughs> things like that. So, but I would like to, you know. At least my opinion, it's my opinion, and you can disagree with that, and I'll respect that, but at least my opinion is well-researched, and, you know, it's, you know, there's something to back it up, at least, and I guess that's one of my biggest pet peeves on personal Facebook pages is, you know, everybody's entitled to an opinion. Well, actually, no, they're not. Everybody's entitled to an informed opinion. I am 100%, and if you've got an informed opinion, I'll listen to you all day, and you might even change mine, but... If your opinion is uninformed, I don't want to even bother listening. And I, unfortunately, and I probably shouldn't even say this out loud, but COVID has definitely helped me clean my friends list up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Probably by day forty-five, there was a few people. You're like, seriously? Like, oh, yeah. It's time for you to go. Yeah. We've had some great chats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so when we look at, um, but when we look at what it's done. Um, for good and for bad. I mean, it does a couple of things. Uh, the The reality is, is that it's at your fingertips, right? It's all on all of our phones right now. Um, we can share our ideas or our reaction. I think one of the problems is, and I, I can tell you if you take a look at, you know, when I when I moved to Prince George in 2015, that's that was really when I started to get involved in in the outdoors from the from the conservation side and just you know wanting to I guess contribute my voice. But I can tell you, I, I was today because of this, or pardon me, yesterday after I was uh, kind of out for the day, I, I was actually lo- looking back. I went all the way back to how I was posting in 2010, and then I kept looking at different little waypoints. And the, the conversation that I was having, in it didn't ex- really exist in the hunting space until really I moved out here. So then now I take a look at, you know, how I think and how I engage people online in 2020 versus how I was in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are a lot more selfies probably back then. And I think I'm going back to that cause I kind of miss those, but, um, you, you mean but, you did more 10 years ago, but, but, uh, but I think the bigger thing is just, is thinking through the things that you're going to say was that every, there was a lot of people that when they're online, it's like they see something and then they want to respond right away versus pausing a beat or two and taking it in and saying, okay, before I start hammering on this keyboard, right? (laughs) And saying the first thing that comes to mind, maybe, like you said, be a little bit informed and then engage the person. But the other thing that I've noticed, the first few, I I mean, I'd read a CBC article there or or something in the lower mainland that would be about, you know, whatever's the grizzly bear hunt or something. And I mean, the anti-hunting, you know, rhetoric would be there and I would just wade right into it. Like, I'm going to fight these people. (laughs) I'm going to tell them what I think. And it just, it served absolutely no purpose. And over time, as you start to read these narratives and these long threads and you watch the dialogue between people with uh, competing views, you realize that they're just, I mean, they're always just talking past each other. Nobody's listening. So I don't seek those conversations out. It also doesn't help to just be in an echo chamber with everybody else saying the same thing. Completely. But it's, I think it's worth it when you're going to wade in, think a little bit about what you say, and then wade into the subject matter. Don't just you know, say the first thing that comes to mind. But I think that's the problem, is that you have to either evolve to that, and not everybody gets there. I uh, never had that problem. Yeah, no, never. no, yeah, yeah, no. Oh, thanks, TJ. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Just, just as it, we're just kind of go around uh, like a panel. I think does everybody sort of see it that that way? Is there has it been an evolution for you, Mandy, in terms of the way that you engage on social media? 
I would say <laughs> I'm a better storyteller with my hunts now. That's for sure. Like 10 years ago, I just post up a picture. Here's my deer. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Not like what it went into it, where I went, like what training I went, did before the hunts. Yeah, stuff like that. I didn't take any landscape pictures as much and... I do now. You do now. I'm yep. trying to show the more holistic side of hunting to try and appeal to like more people to get into hunting because I, I don't think the kill shots and the like mm-hmm. grip and grin is the best way to convey our message. I think you have to be a storyteller and is like it, hunting's not easy. You have to like show what you put into it. So, but on, okay, so let's just hang, let's just write in this space here, grip and grin. We've made it a negative thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we talk about self-editing. And TJ, because you, you're also a photographer, um, you're a photographer, but it's also you've got a TV show that has to that ends up having those kinds of things. So when it comes to grip and grin, grip and grin in a closed environment, like in a hunting space, I think I don't really have a problem with that. I think the only time I, I consider self-editing or changing how I tell the story is if I'm telling it to to a wider group of people that I'm pretty sure were not most like on my personal page, it's almost never shared. I might reference hunting, but I don't yeah. I don't put any of those I don't put those photos out for everybody else because I for me there's a little bit of restraint. Now, that's just me, but I mean I'm I'm not sure if that's like that for everybody. Oh, it doesn't to- need to be totally. A few years ago, you can vouch for it. I I had gripping grins all over my Facebook page, my personal one. If anybody didn't like it, they could stuff it, and I would I, mean, I, I would say that I still post them up but like 90 percent of the people on my page they know that mm-hmm. i hunt yeah and, it, they, and they're, they're okay with they it they don't have a problem oh, with me doing it yeah so where do you stand on that tj from a professional standpoint because it's i mean it it is it's also part of it's part of the landscape it's it's expected in in, in your space oh for sure and i think manny makes a great point about you know telling the whole story of the hunt mm-hmm. i'm still a big fan of griffin grinch um is one and i know this always sounds so stupid but they have to be done tastefully that's right and yeah. you know if you can clean up the blood get the tongue back in the mouth set the animal up nicely and i appreciate the animal's dead um and we all know that but you can still i know we have lots of non-hunting friends and when they look at our our actually you know trophy photos or whatever you want to call them our griffin grins i don't think they're ever that offended because you can really tell we've taken a lot of time mm-hmm. to set it up you know, to portray that animal. But with that said, I think, you know, Mandy had a great point there too, that you want to show a lot of those, um, you know, other photos from the hunt, how difficult it was, um, show some photos of you eating the animal, things like that. So it doesn't have to all be in the same post, but I think if your Facebook page kind of evolves along that, you know, kind of organically through that whole hunt all the time. You know, today, here's a shot of me standing on a mountain. Three days from now, here's a shot of me with a dead sheep. You know, another couple of days, here's a shot of me eating something. It, mm-hmm. I think people who follow you regularly just come to appreciate that. I don't think we should ever apologize for what we do. No. And I'm still with that mindset that, you know, if you don't want to see dead animals, don't be on my Facebook page. And I'm, you know, I'm not offended if you want to leave, but leave. i I actually a few years ago had a a vegan friend that was on my page and she would make little snide comments say i'd I'd post a picture of a mule deer standing in a field nice and alive just a nice scenery and she'd go oh did did that just before you shot it just being snide and my friends that hunt would jump all over her and she would go no 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 i know he hunts i'm okay with it i'm just razzing him as long as he uses the animal so she was good with it but there was ones yeah, that were just complete polar opposite that just unfriend, block, delete, report, you name it. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. we all, you go ahead, go ahead, TJ. 
I was going to say, I think they just, it kind of weeds themselves out eventually. Like, I mean, yeah. there's no doubt I've lost friends for some of mine, but um, I don't know. I, I, I don't need people like, I don't need anyone following me on social media, but I like people following me on social media mm-hmm. who appreciate what we do. Um, and I want to appreciate what they do. There's nothing more. I mean, I love scrolling through, you know, my newsfeed and seeing a guy with a big deer or a big bear or something like that. I mean, it, I get a real thrill out of that. So I would like to think I do the same. And I know when I see a really well-composed picture of a nice animal, I really stop and take notice. I'll comment on it. I'll like it. I think that's what we need to be doing is just taking a lot more time. And, you know, you'll post that on a message board or something like that, and people will laugh. You know, oh, the animal's dead. He doesn't care. And, well, no, the animal really doesn't care. But I think people around us do care. And I don't know. It's like you're never going to convince anti-hunters what we do is good. And I don't care how much we sterilize what we do. There's never going to be an anti-hunter happy with what we do. But there are a lot of non-hunters out there. And I I don't think we have to sterilize what we do. I Mm -hmm. think we have to do it better. Um, Do it more class, more finesse. That's right. And I I remember probably five or six years ago, and some of our listeners can, can vouch for that, that on BC Hunting and Fishing, there was a guy that posted a black bear. And it was, it was good. Uh, a little bit of blood needed to be cleaned up, but it was it was a classy picture. Then two days later, he posted a picture straight out of Lord of the Flies, where he'd cut the head off the bear, he had the head piked on a yeah. stick, and he'd painted his face with the bear blood. And he was he had t shirt off, and he'd painted his body with the blood. And I yeah. I engaged him, and I said, "Hey, that ain't cool that you're misrepresenting." And he he came unglued and it turned into a, a, a shit storm on the page and I yeah. lost my cool and I, I went off. No, side. no, I know <laughs> it's so unbelievable. <laughs> I went up one side of him and down the other and, and kicked him from the page and booted him. And it was just, then I sat back and went, Holy crap. I, I really didn't like what he did there. And I, I could totally see on pages, as you know, you have 25,000 people. They're not all hunters. And we we could have lost a few hundred. We could have had people sitting on the fence that were learning about hunting going, I'm completely turned off. So I, I I completely get the, uh, the, the wanting to make sure that the animal is represented in the best way possible because we, we owe it to the animal. When I think for us, you know, like on our Outdoor Quest TV page, uh, for sure. Um, like we encourage other people to post photos all the time, but, um, you know, if somebody does post, but we consider a photo that doesn't really meld with mm-hmm. our philosophy. I'm not going to engage them. I'm just going to delete it. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I think the older I get, the less I'm engaging people on Facebook. <laughs> you know, I think there's a point in your life where, you know, you're probably well-researched on subjects and you know you're right about things and yeah. you can't believe that people won't believe you're right. <laughs> but, and, yeah, but, but and that's true. And, you know, I, I was reading the, I read your article um, that you wrote in, uh, it was, uh, about um, uh, deleting, uh, basically deleting content and social trolls, right, on hunting yeah. pages. And you use the example when Steve Eklund shot the cougar and, and then he had all of that stuff rained down. And then Vanessa had a great uh, a bow kill on a, on a cougar. And there's a great photograph there, which was terrific. So when that, when that was all going on, did you leave that, was that picture up in, in, in still on, on the page of, of Vanessa? Or did, did that get moved off to the side or did you just leave that out there? No, no, we just left it out there. And I mean, and not to criticize Steve, but um, he put that picture up there to elicit response. Right. Um, 100% he did. And I mean, I I emailed him the day that he started engaging the aunties on his page and everything else. And I said, you know where this is going, right? And 
he was well aware. And I mean, you know, I guess there is some thought to the process that, you know, there's no bad publicity. On the other hand, we never, you know, when we posted the photo of Vanessa's Cougar, it was, you know, here's a great cougar we took, you know, we're going to eat it. Here's some more of the story. And, you know, any negative, and there was lots of negative comments on it, mm. but they just instantly got deleted. We just weren't looking. Um, you weren't trying to charge the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. No, and not to say this is a case with Steve, because it, it isn't, but you'll see a lot of people very new in the television business or the hunting business. Um, that's one way they think they can really fast track their way to the top is to get into a big controversy. Mm-hmm. Right. And we see it all the time. And I think a lot of times they're invented. And like I said, that definitely wasn't the case with Steve, but he did definitely propagate um, a lot of what happened there. He, he could have shut it down just as easy as it you know, it, it went viral. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, it was probably, he was trying to make a point, I think, when he did it too, right? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. but, but, so when we look at that space, I, I still think that there's a level of, to, to, to Mandy's point, is that there needs to be storytelling. And sometimes just a snapshot of a dead animal um, that has no context around it. The problem is, is that, like you said, that propagates, but that also propagates a narrative That's if, there's, if there's a lot of it. Um, and then it, it sort of leaves, it, it, it feels like a, it's a bit of an empty experience for the person that just, you know, if they're, if they're not into hunting and, and that's where they intersect, you, you know, you as a person, it's like, okay, well, there's a picture of a dead animal. Um, you know, when somebody's posing with it and it's done tastefully, that certainly helps. Um, but there's so many people that just fight that and they get this mentality of, you know, I, it, it, you, you'd actually said it earlier, and it's that phrase that sometimes uh, pushes us into into those moments where we want to be combative, which is like, I don't want to apologize for what right. I do. And I, 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 I get that because I've actually posted that. I've said that. I've felt that way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to apologize for hunting. But then part of me also sa- says, okay, you know, I, I, I respect the fact that I can choose. I can choose the stuff that I put in front of the, the general public and the people that are in my life that don't approve of it. And they can maybe not be friends or, or whatever, or I can just find a space where I can share that with people that are like-minded because sharing it with people that are uninitiated, you know, I, I need to have a conversation if they're, if they're not sure of it. When you look at that statistically, you know, you've got 1.3 million hunters in Canada. You've got 3 million anglers, 45,000 trappers, uh, one and a half million people in sport shooting. And you got almost 38 million people in Canada. We are, a, you know, we're 3%, we're, 4%, we're you know, 5% of the people, depending on what you're, what you're looking at. I mean, we got a lot of people that, I mean, and, and there's not that many, you know, strident uh, anti-hunters out there. Um, but there's a lot of people that are non-hunters that don't have an opinion right. one way or the other. And if we, if we don't think sometimes that there's not a, that, that we either push them off the edge or push them towards a decision when we mm. when we uncontextualize right. some of the stories that we tell, the things that we say, the 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 way that we say it, um, we're fooling ourselves because that's where we do a lot of damage, and we do a lot of it in these little like in Instagram, that's Facebook, right. and if somebody can grab those pictures. The guy with the you know, tell me that somebody didn't grab that picture. I, I, absolutely, yeah. that old adage: it, it, pictures a thousand words. Somebody right? grabs that picture of the guy with the bear head, and then all of a sudden, that's just rampant, and then that becomes the the window to the world of hunting, right? That's right. So that's the part that I think we have to look at. Um, you know, whether you're, you know, it's it's how you craft your television show, and there's been some. Show, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, TJ, there's some programming that was on Wild TV that <laughs> I shook my head like. Seriously, how how does this make this to television? A couple of shows that I don't think are there any longer, but I w- I, I watched right. a couple of episodes. I will not say the name, 
but I just shook my head like, seriously, how does this end up being on television? This is the worst. I know. I'll tell you how right now. You can afford to write a check. <laughs> yeah, but that's just it. Like if you came up with 40000 or $50,000 in yeah. advertisers, it's like, well, hey, yeah, go ahead and tell whatever you want to tell. I don't care what you're doing. Um, and, and unfortunately, that is the reality of television nowadays. It's, it's um, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know, like we have to buy our airtime. Right. And so if you've got to check to buy the airtime, especially if you're Canadian with a CRTC number because they need so much Canadian content, you're on. And Well, know, there you go, anyone yeah. listening. Yeah, just, just pony up, write the check. Yeah. And that's, unfortunately, that's the reality of television now is that anyone can be on. And it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's expensive, but that's why you see so many one or two year wonders, right? It's, mm-hmm. they think they can get on, prove themselves, and then the sponsors are going to come flocking. And that's not the way it works. But, um, but we don't have that, I guess, checks and balances on social media. Like social media is free. You can throw whatever you want up there. And I, I guess I kind of look at, if I'm, going to call myself a professional in this industry like I, i'm i'm not a professional hunter but i am a professional media person i guess is the way i like to look at it i need to present myself professionally and i need to present what i do professionally if guys who are you know whatever job they have and they want to post photos up on their facebook page it, it's wrong but I, I is it really for me to go criticize i don't know yeah, and I, I wouldn't be critical that way. Um, you know, I, I think, it, it, if, like Mandy said, most of her friends or people, they know what she does, right? And they hunt. And lots of people know that about me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for myself personally, though, I'm also a tied to a, a car dealership here in Prince George. And, uh, you know, I'm fairly outspoken. And, you know, I spend a lot of time in social media. But I also recognize, and now my, my boss is, is 100%. He supports the podcast and the things that I do. And he's into long-distance shooting and He's part of that. He's not a hunter, but he a hundred percent, he advocates those things and he's happy to be supportive of this community. But there are certain areas where I got to just, I just have to make sure I face the public. Right. And yep. I have a broad buying public and there's, there's those, those considerations. It's what you had said earlier. There's a little delineation between TJ's page and outdoor quest, right? It's like, this oh, is me a, as a, a person. And so for me, I kind of walk that fine line. We run the, the, you know, all the two five O properties and you know, I'm, I'm that person to the hunting community. And there's a version of me that, uh, I will represent. I, it's always implied, but I, I just control the, some of the things that I put out there and, you know, um, if, if, but if I'm pushed on an issue, absolutely, I you know I'm I'm happy to defend what we do for hunting, and I, I I always do. I just try I make a conscious choice to do that, and I don't have a problem with people that do it or don't, as long as you do it tastefully, and 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 I really think like you cannot put enough weight on what Mandy said about context and what you're yeah. talking about telling the story. Like you said, it, what a great way to do it. You know, I'm on a ten day sheep hunt, a sheep hunt. You know, the journey up to the alpine. You know scouting then you know then i'm maybe glassing then i see the animal now i'm packing it out you know now we're eating it right that that tells a full story it just it would be yeah. great if more people would embrace that kind of storytelling in this space and i like to do that over time though like i'm not a big fan of throwing up 10 or 12 photos in a post right um i'd rather throw up one and you know just i'm just kind of scrolling back through our quest tv page right now and you know there's a grip and grin there's a shot of somebody standing there there's a shot of you know food and there's a shot of a live animal and i kind of like that when somebody scrolls through our page i'm really happy that that's what they see like it's not all dead things it's not all live things it's if you scroll through our page you kind of get a snapshot of of hunting very quickly that's right the hunt, and, is, the hunt uh, is the journey right it's not just the kill. yeah 
interesting. Don't steal that from our TV show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, you're right. But um, I just find people won't, you know, especially I would I would think that um, non-hunters especially wouldn't take the time to scroll through 10 of your hunting photos to kind of get. But if, you know, there's one every, you know, if I post three or four photos a day on Outdoor Quest, I'll kind of make sure there's a different theme to each one of them. So if they're scrolling through the page, they don't have to look at, you know, separate photos. It's just each one's there as they scroll by. Yeah, I, I think there should just, I think, but that that's a behavior that isn't always found in, you know, amongst our community. There's a level of editorializing that we all need to do with our lives, right? In, in certain, it's when, when I interview somebody for a job, you know, um, and my son, my, my son, when he was first applying for jobs in, in when he moved back to Saskatchewan, um, the first thing I did is I, I said, Hey, I was 18 once too, but go to your Facebook page and clean it up. And he, yeah, he, was, nice. he, got, he got mad at me. And then he, he paused for a beat and he kind of went and he goes, Oh yeah. <laughs> he said, I would not hire me if I looked at, you know, how this is. I told, okay, I get it. Sorry. I never thought of it that way. Um, and good thing there was no social media when I was a kid. <laughs> but so, but, but I think there, I think there's an obligation. One of the things that Mandy had sent me, one of the, one of the things that, I, that she wanted to cover. And I, I don't think, I don't think we can put too fine a point on this. Things like gear shaming uh, <laughs> and those spaces, you know, as a, 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 because you write a lot about like calibers and you do rifle reviews and stuff. Uh-oh. Like, I mean, as a Creedmoor owner, like, I'm, I'm, I'm over the man bun thing now. I can live with it, you know, but I, I, I but you, you, we can't, you, it's like, what, what's the best caliber? And just, it'd be one thing if they just had an opinion, right? But it's, we get into these spaces and it's, it's pages and pages and pages of back and forth and just negative, 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 negative F-bombs and terrible language. And they're, they're idiots and you're a retard and you don't know what you're talking about and, you know, I'll, I've never in social media, that's my biggest hang up. I think it's the one thing that we just, as a hunting community, we fall down so often, so hard, but the gear shaming stuff, it's, you know, Kuyu versus Sitka versus First Light, you know, uh, the best backpacks, the best, the right caliber, Savage Arms versus, you know, I can buy, I, I, like, I mean, you have to see that because you're also doing product, product endorsements, but... Is that not a yeah, head shake for you? No, and you're totally right. And like we work with some pretty high end products and just because of what we do and how long we've been around. I mean, like, you know, we work with Zeiss Optics and not everyone can afford Zeiss Optics. And I'm not going to shame you if I can't. And I'll, you know, throw out the best offer, you know, suggestions I've got for what's in your price range. I just want to see you out hunting and getting the best quality. And, you know, just because you can't afford that now or you're just getting into hunting. I mean, there's there's no shame in that. And, and I agree. And we see that a lot. And I think... Um, I was, I don't know, I was talking to Randy Newberg the other day and, um, we were just talking about this exact thing, the shaming and, you know, we've got all these hunter athletes and everything's now, and, you know, you got the, the pudgy guy like me up on the mountains and I'm getting shamed for that. And, there's, there's, <laughs> you know, there, there's so much shaming going on in the hunting community right now. And it's, we should be embracing everyone that's out there doing it, doing it right. And whether we're at the same physical level, where we're at the same income level, where you can afford what I have totally irrelevant as long as you're out there enjoying it doing it ethically doing it well that's, that's all you need to worry about i think i'm probably the most confusing guy on on 
internet, though, because somebody asked me, oh, what's your favorite caliper? And I'm like, well, I really don't have one, you know. Some days I like this, some days I like this, some days I like to take out this, but this one's good, too. And that's not what people want to hear. They want that one <laughs> definitive answer. <laughs> yeah, we're always looking for, like, no, just that what's the one thing that I can get, right? Yeah, no, and it's like, you know, oh, did you shoot that with your six-size Creedmoor? I'm like, no, I think I had my seven out of eight out that day. And, you know, it's like, it's, I don't know. When I go out <laughs> hunting some days, it's literally I'll open the gun safe up and go, ah, who should I take for a walk today? Yeah. I- I, I wish I had your problems, <laughs> but, but, but there's the other side of that. It's I mean, not the other side of it, but, but into that, there's so many posts and threads. It's like, you know, whether I, I don't care whether it's boots or backpacks or how you hunt, you've got people that are traditional bow hunters that fight with, you know, people using compound bows. You've got, you know, fly fishermen that don't understand people that, you know, use spin cast reels, Gear chuckers, yeah. you know, and, and there, and, and then it'd be one thing if you just, you know, agree to disagree or, you know, in a very articulate and, and friendly and approachable way, mm-hmm. you know, facilitated discussions that went back and forth. And not that that, that doesn't, it, it, that does happen. It just doesn't happen enough. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And it, it discourages a lot of the rookies also from being part of our group because they just get on and they get mm-hmm. lambasted on there because they're like, oh, I picked up this little savage and I really love it. And people are oh, like, and it starts. oh, yeah. It yeah, just, worst stock ever. Like, them. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crappy scope, blah, blah, blah. And then they get into all that. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's all I can afford. Like, <laughs> I just got into this thing, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um. Okay, so any more on gear on gear shaming? We're good on gear shaming. I'm just going to look at you knowingly. Yes. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Only because I have gear all over the place, man. I I love gear. I love it. I mean, and I it, but it you know, but I buy into that. I'm the guy that, you know, okay, so if if I like good gear mm-hmm. and but I, it doesn't all have to be the it doesn't have to be expensive. It has to be functional. That's right. right. And but and but and, there's the reverse gear shaming too that it gets just as bad. I mean, you know, like I, I like to use gear that's expensive and I can afford it and yeah. so be it. But I, I don't shame anyone that uses it. But then you'll get people like, whoa, you know, why do you need a $3,000 rifle to kill a deer? Well, I don't need it, but man, I sure enjoy shooting it. And, you know, it's not your money, so shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's kind of, I, I feel the same way. I mean, there's the, part, and part of it, you know, I'm, pro, I'm a sucker for advertising. So they, they craft the image and these aspirational pictures of people wearing this camo and that pack and those boots. And then there's a price point to get to those things. But I also sell cars for a living. And there's a difference between a, you know, a Chevy Spark, you know, and, you know, a Cadillac in a, in a CT4, you know, there's a difference between buying a four-cylinder Camaro and buying, you know, the new C8 Corvette. And yeah, yeah they, they're both nice cars to look at, but one of them is 100% worth $100,000 all day long, and the other one's worth thirty five. And if they I can... They'll both get you to work. They'll both get you to work. Who cares? It's just how you want to get there. And I, you exactly. know... Exactly. <laughs> and I, I'll, I, I'm fine with that. What I'm not fine with is people judging people, you know, to Mandy's idea. Like, if that's... When you get into hunting for the first time, like if, you, for instance, you wanted to be a sheep hunter, like, I mean, the first time out, you, you don't have to have Kuyu gear and a Kafaru pack and a, you know, a three pound rifle and you don't need all of that stuff. But no. for, but I mean, if you're cashed up and you can do it good for you, but if all you could afford is the Savage Access mm. and a cheap backpack from Canadian Tire and you, you know, you're going to wear gum boots, if that's all you've got that's good right. for you, don't make the yeah. person feel bad for doing <laughs> it. They're just, they want to get out there and, and to have the adventure, like let them grow into the other stuff. Let's not make them feel that's crappy right. about their choices. I've seen right? some great pictures of TJ, what, 89 or something where you're up a mountain and you got a great 88, sheep. Yeah. 88, 89. Yeah. And you got a great sheep at your feet there and what plaid and jeans. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was actually wearing um, 
Yeah, no, it's a little more high tech than jeans, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's and if, if some guy never wants to graduate from his savage rifle and his jeans and his plaid, who cares? Like, I don't. I don't. That's what I don't get a lot of times on social media is why people get so outraged at what other people are doing. Yeah, it, it doesn't affect them in any way. That's right. Yeah, if, you know, if some guy's up there, you know, with a savage rifle that shoots well, shooting in his plaid jacket and jeans, and he's happy doing that. That has zero effect on my life. Yeah. Why should I care? I should be happy for him. Mm-hmm. So the the last place I want to kind of go, um, so we don't keep TJ here all night, um, is um, when we talk about activism, conservation, uh, legislation, and how social media can move that forward or how it can push it way off track. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know when we look at, you know, we're going to be doing an episode uh, this week. Steve's going to get a whole cast of characters in here, and they're going to be talking about the gun ban which is obviously very topical for all of us in this space. Um, and, and, but on, on these issues, social media can do a lot of good, um, and then you can do a lot of damage when you have the uninformed, you know, or, or uninformed or misinformed, um, you know, speaking at volume on an issue, right? And it, I mean, and, and that doesn't mean that, you know, just because I have a microphone that I have the right answer. I have the right answer for me, per, perhaps, but there are people that we know that weighed in on these issues um, and in their circle, they can do a lot of damage in a really short amount of time. That gets exponentially worse when some of the people that speak on behalf mm-hmm. of the hunting community are high visibility people. And that will include sometimes people that are in the outdoor media space. Like, you know, it's, so it, it, it's a, it's really, it, it's really created a, it's, it, it, it can be a bit of a trap for us because it, it can do great and it can do a whole lot of bad. So you know, with with a gun ban, and not to not to beleaguer the point, or or you know, too much. We're going to cover this a, a lot later this week, TJ. But um, you know, that's a good example, and I, I and I know that I've kind of followed you know some of your thought processes on that, um, and on other things in conservation. So, okay, I just I, I guess just a just a kind of a quick feedback from you on 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 where you think we can do better, uh, or or where you think we're doing well using social media to move our causes forward. I think getting credible information out there is, is the most important job that I have, that most of us have. Um, you know, it's, and I just, you know, I, I keep going back to the COVID thing because it's an easy thing right now, but you know, you got the left, you know, people are saying they're sheep because they're doing this, they're doing that and following this. And then, but on the far right side, you know, you've got everybody lining up to, you know, believe the next meme that comes out. And at some point in the middle, there is the truth. And I think if I've ever tried to really do one thing, both, on my personal and business page is to just post credible information and keep trying to beat people over the head with critical, you know, or credible information until they <laughs> absorb it. And that's what's going to set us free eventually is, is knowledge is, I mean, like facts and knowledge are power. Um, the more we believe stupid, non-credible, you know, fake news, just, we look stupid and we're less credible at that point. If we want to be taken seriously, we need to go, with all the facts in our pockets and just slowly keep bringing them out to everything they say that, you know, isn't a fact. Yeah. A hundred percent. Anything on that, Steve or Manny? I think TJ nailed it. Uh, there's, there's so many memes out there and everybody's, you, you can see with the, with COVID, everybody has a degree in Facebook uh, virology, right? Yeah. They, <laughs> We're all epidemiologists for the right, day, right? They've, they've read something and it's fact and it, it's easy to shut down with a little bit of critical thinking little bit of research. Uh, grizzlies aren't endangered. We'll use that one in BC. That that was banned strictly due to social 
to, to social feedback, right? Yeah. 4,000 some odd people emailed the government and said, we don't like this. We believe they're endangered. This shouldn't happen anymore. But also on the heels of a, of a big outdoor and social media campaign leading up to that Absol- vote, right? Absolutely. So that was part of that process. Absolutely. But it started because of the crap we see online, videos yeah. of people doing the, 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 the grip and grins we talked about that did us no favors. They weren't the tastefully done ones talking about the whole story, the, the, the poster child for it was that grizzly on the slide that was shot, what, seven, eight, nine times? And it was just tumbling and these guys were hooting and hollering and that was so avoidable. So it's 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 been our worst enemy as well. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think, you know, it's really hard to win battles on social media or even through social media with the government or anything mm-hmm. when, you, when you are such a minority. I mean, it's no matter how many facts you have at some point, you know, elected officials are going to cater to the people that elected them. And you guys saw that with your grizzly hunting. That's right. It was, you know, we have your premier admitting it was shut down just for social reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a real problem there. But, you know, the, the people in downtown Vancouver don't see the problem and that's who's voting for them. So that's where it gets. And I, I don't know the answer to this. I, I know what the problem is, but I don't know what we can do better to start changing that. I mean, you know, I, I heard somebody talking the other day. There was um, there was a... Um, a petition that had 60,000 votes supporting the gun ban. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that was great. That was, you know, that was it. That's all we needed. We have 60,000 people support us, you know, totally discounting the near quarter million people that have signed a petition against it. That's right. Yeah. And, but that's what our politicians do. And it, that's what gets frustrating. Like sometimes I think, you know, we get so passionate on social media, we post facts, we post facts, we post facts. And sometimes it's kind of all for naught. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like yeah, yeah, we're all preaching to the converted sometimes, um, and I sometimes that's the difficult part. You know, in my own experience, as I had referenced earlier, you know, you you try to, you try to cross over and engage the people that are in opposition mm-hmm. to you, and I guess you could facilitate that debate. I just know that the way I was doing it was more caustic than productive. It was just reactive. That's right. Um, and just, it just denigrates into just a name calling session, right? Like nobody's listening to the other perspective. One of the reasons that, you know, we chose this format um, in a podcast was that there's a couple of things. One, I wanted to be really clear before we did got, it got into a subject matter. I wanted to spend some time researching it, organizing our thoughts a little bit. Um, and trying to figure out what it is that, you know, what, what it is that, you know, our own conclusions and, and something cohesive and cogent that makes sense to us. It doesn't mean that it's going to jive with every single listener that's out there. But in this particular format, we thought this is a chance for us, at least in, in, in BC, to deal with things that we can contextualize around the BC hunting experience um, and bring people like yourself in, you know, to color the narrative that we're trying to, we're trying to define but without necessarily, it's a way of it, it's a way of shouting um, in in a different kind of way. I think it's more structured. It allows us to to lay things out, you know, over a couple of hours and kind of talk around uh, the the subject matter. It's one of the reasons I like this particular format. Sometimes in in you know in a Facebook post, uh, you know, I had a couple. Uh, there's one that went off the rails over a, a guy shooting at a wolf this uh, weekend on one of my pages, and it just I got really offended by the way that. Um, it, it just, it turned into a name calling session and mm-hmm. that's the most counterproductive kind of, of discussion that you can have. And the worst part is, is that that's exactly what, what plays to, you know, anti-hunters right. or, or non-hunters. Anybody like these, sitting on the these guys just sit and argue with each other all day. They can't even exactly. agree on anything. 
That's right. That's yeah. right. They, they sit back and they watch. They go, we don't have to do anything. They're doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and we can't move any balls forward. Right. Um, so I, I'm just curious. I, I, I shared a, an article I was, uh, I was reading in Outdoor Canada and I've been sort of following the, as they're revisiting the, uh, the bear hunt in Ontario, the spring bear hunt. And I mean, that was closed in 1999. That's not a Facebook time. You know, that wasn't waiting. But do you think, do you think TJ that, 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 that thing has the, has a chance to get off the ground with the amount of now you have social media, you have an organized anti-hunting community. You probably have the same guy that helped fund its, its <laughs> demise is probably still around. Do you think that that uh, something like that Ontario bear hunt gets back on, on track or do you, do you think social media will play a part in that conversation over the next few weeks as they deliberate? It may play a role, but unfortunately, I mean, I think a lot of those decisions blow with the political wind. And I mean, you know, you've got a, a conservative government in Ontario right now, which is probably a lot more favorable to hunting. I mean, you've got an NDP government, um, you know. Yeah, you thanks look, for reminding us. So <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we're probably on the cusp of getting our grizzly bear hunt back here in a couple of years. How long has it been gone be- for? How long has it been gone for in Alberta? Oh, it's got to be... 15 years, 14 years. Wow. So what do you think has caused that, that, that transition? Is it, is that a science-based development? We have a conservative government after an NDP government, which, which is the biggest precipice for pushing it forward, but they're pushing hard for the science. So, um, you know, there's been a couple studies that are been kind of dropped and stopped being funded because, um, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but they were kind of headed towards the direction of proving we did have a thousand bears in Alberta, which, which is our cutoff point with the feds where we can get our season back and everything else. So now we have a conservative government willing to spend some money to get the DNA test done to get an accurate population count. So we do have the science to go to the feds, get them delisted and, and get a season back. But it takes a lot of political will to do that. And it takes a lot of political backbone to know you're going to piss a lot of people off. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And we have a minister right now who, quite honestly, I, doesn't care a lot about anti-hunters and stuff. Um, you know, he's a big guy. He's a hunter. He's a fisher. He's really passionate about hunting and fishing. And I think he's just trying to do what's right and, you know, damn the torpedoes. <laughs> well, That's hopefully we the mean. yeah, hopefully the winds of change yeah. will come that way and uh you know, I know uh, Mike Morris is, uh, I think, uh, off to Victoria. I think he's down there. He's uh, now, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's down now. Uh, one of our uh, co-hosts and uh, local MLA and a hunter and trapper and all of that. Uh, so I know that that's what he's hoping for is a chance that, uh, for, for us to have a government change. And we'll see what we'll see where that goes uh, this fall. Um, and it's sad when that that's what guides your wildlife management is, you know, what political parties in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it should be 100% science-based. And, you know, that's a dream we all have, but it's a dream. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit of a dream, but I think you got to continue to advocate for it. So, well, yeah. I, I think, uh, I think we've uh, kept you long enough and we appreciate you coming to weigh in on, on this subject matter. Um, and, uh, more than that, what we really appreciate is, uh, building a great program, uh, that I love watching, mm-hmm. uh, and I love following the IG feed, uh, which has been awesome. Um, you're, you're a great advocate. You're the perfect guy to have in our space. Uh, that's a that's that's not only a, a a Canadian but a well-spoken, articulate, sometimes outspoken TJ <laughs> Canadian. So so thanks for all that you and you and Vanessa and, and everybody at Outdoor Quest do. You guys are making great content, uh, and I, I think that's people like you that help drive the change. 
Anyway, that's Run. that's all for me and Stevie. I, I echo Don's thoughts, TJ. This has been great. When I uh, first reached out to you and asked if you'd do this, uh, there was no doubt in my mind you would agree because just knowing the type of person you are and the advocate for the hunting and uh, outdoor community you are, that, that you'd say yes. And on yeah. a personal note, I'm, I'm pretty happy to see that you're... Uh, your chief gate opener is back on your feet now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Pass on. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, I mean, I won't take much more of your time. It's funny how some things just take off like that. I mean, we that gate shtick. I mean, it's, oh, that was funny. We have a lot of fun together. I mean, it's not a lot of it's serious, but people just have so much fun with it. And, oh, you know, we keep thinking we should stop this. It's going to get old. And it just no, never stops. It ain't getting old, man. It's pretty funny when Steve and I were talking about that on the way, when we were coming down here, we were on the phone with each other. And, I was, and when he was just yeah. saying that, that's awesome. Yeah, so. Pass along our love and our hellos to her. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll chat soon. Yeah, no, and thank you guys for having me, and um, keep up uh, the good fight because I know you're fighting a lot of the same fights we are. That's awesome. Thanks again, TJ. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, there you go, uh, TJ Schwanky, Outdoor Quest. A little discussion around the idea of social media and the impact on hunting. Any final thoughts and conclusions from anybody? I think we uh, we covered it pretty well. <laughs> Tuck the we, tongue inside. Yeah. Don't paint blood on your face. Don't put bear heads on pikes. And and we'll, we'll get through this together. We're all on the same team. Rifle, bow, hiker, road hunter, whatever. We're we're, we're in it together. Yeah. And and stop stop fighting amongst each other. Yeah, I think it's the fighting. I think that's it's the big the thing. Infighting that really does damage to our community. <laughs> it's, and, 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 and it's the stuff that, that, that causes all the eye rolls and that's what makes you just go like, seriously, we want to be proud of the community that we're from. It's got to be a community first. And, you know, that's the thing that we got to work towards. So hopefully, um, you know, hopefully, I mean, some of the things with, that we said today and in and, and, and some of TJ's perspective, hopefully it's resonated with, uh, with you folks. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun having these conversations. We hope you're enjoying the content. Uh, we want to continue to have uh, bigger, broader conversations um, about, about subject matters that are relevant in BC. And, and, and in fact, we'll, be, we'll start covering some things that maybe have some, some reach around Canada as well. Um, yeah. Don't hesitate to reach out to us absolutely. on the page if you've got a topic you want us to talk about. Uh, it's, we, we, we love the input. We love the feedback. And the more we get from you, the better. Uh, the better our show can be and better we can help uh, drive our message. Yeah, or, or your message, uh, you know, for, for the people listening. So if you have ideas, uh, send them on our Facebook page. Uh, if you want to go and leave it in the comments section, we've got comment sections all across the website. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to have Mandy's bear shank recipe. I'm going to upload that tomorrow. It's going to be dynamite. Uh, and then <clears throat> I think if you if any of you, you should go find Mandy on, on Instagram. She's got this bear self. I've hurt myself and I cannot wait to put this stuff on my hip and see if it works. How do you keep it lit? What's it's got some stuff in it, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it does. It's some got some special, stu- special stuff. There's some there. special stuff. So anyway, uh, later this week, we're going to start recording uh, episode seven. We're going to talk about the gun ban. Uh, that should be, we've been kind of alluding to that, but Steve and Brandy and some of their friends are going to get together and they're going to have a couple of long discussions. So uh, hang on to your hats and... Uh, this will be parental advisory. Yeah, I, I imagine. Not that it'll get heated amongst them, but everybody's going to get fairly impassioned on that. There might, and, there might be some some words. Yeah, I think I think there's, there, there's going to be a few words. And then uh, we'll have a couple more episodes that we'll uh, be putting together and a few more. Look for some uh, some more editorial content coming up uh, on the Cutbanks conversation. So from everybody here on River Road in Prince George along the swollen <laughs> banks, of the uh, of the the Chaco River, uh, thanks very much for listening to the Cutbanks conversation. Oh, 
I forgot to mention, we had a contest that we were running on our 250 Predator page. Did and we I leave said, this to the end? We absolutely left this to the end. So if, you, if you've listened to the whole podcast, it was a Father's Day prize package. Let me reiterate what you're going to win. You're going to get a Hank Shaw cook, uh, a cooking apron, barbecue apron. Uh, so you're going to get that. You're going to get both of his Buck Buck Moose and the Pheasant, Rabbit, and Quail uh, cookbooks, which are dynamite, absolutely lights out. Um, you're going to get a one-year membership to the Wild Sheep Society because I thought Kyle was such a good guest last uh, last week, uh, and we wanted to give away that, plus a hat for the Wild Sheep Society, plus a T-shirt for the Wild, Se- uh, Wild Sheep Society, plus two two pounds, I think they're one-pound bags, one of uh, the Atlan uh, Gourmet Roasted Conservation Coffee. I don't drink coffee, and this stuff is amazing. And it's amazing, and... And a Yeti 36-ounce Rambler. All of that in one prize package. And all you had to do was post a cool picture or a video. And we got a whole bunch of people to enter on the 250 Predator page. So thanks for everybody that entered. And the winner. The random number generator picked. And the winner is everybody went in a hat. We put it through a spreadsheet in Matt's laptop. And thanks it for tuning comes in. down we are to done. comes down to number, I think it's number 19 or something like that yeah. as we randomly put him in there. Anyway, Nick Brennan, congratulations. You can give uh, me a DM. Yay. And uh, just to, although they're, they're not a sponsor, we want to thank the good folks at Trench Brewing because we had an Amanika Blondale here to get through the podcast and it was exquisite. And like I said, I, I'm not a beer guy, but I love this. I love this guy's stuff. It's I, dynamite. I'm a beer guy. Yeah, it's dynamite. So anyway, stay tuned for future episodes of the podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a great night, everybody. Cheers.